Welcome to the Susan G. Coleman Memphis Mid-South Mississippi Pink Podcast Program. I'm your host, Katherine Young, Senior Vice President, and my co-host today, Miss Molly May. Hey, Miss Katherine. Hi, Molly. So uh, today we wanted to talk a little bit about um, what it was like for you um, to find out that your mother um, had breast cancer at such an early age. She did. Um, my mom, so my mom had me semi later in life. Um, she had me when she was 35 years old. She actually turned 36 the day after I was born. So at the tail end of being 35, uh, my birthday is September the 12th and hers is September the 13th. So we we always have birthday weeks at our house instead <laughs> of birthdays. Um, so then she was diagnosed eight years later, what, what, 35, 36, 38, 42, yeah, math is not my strong point. She was diagnosed at 42 when I was eight years old, um, and she was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer, and it was quite scary. Um, I grew up in a single parent home, and so it was, and I'm also an only child, so it was literally just me and my mom, and although she, uh, she was dating someone currently at the time, I mean, you know, that's different than, like, having another parent at home, and so... When she was diagnosed, our, both of our worlds completely turned upside down. And it was really just, she did an incredible job of shielding me a lot from just how hard it was for her at such, because I was so young. And especially when you're so young and you hear the word cancer, you freak out. I mean, a small child doesn't really understand. They associate cancer is death, right? There right. is no in-between, especially when you're so young. Everything is so incredibly black and white. And so I really didn't know what to do, and I felt incredibly helpless. Like, I cannot help my mom <laughs> in this situation. What am I supposed to do? And it was already hard enough on us um, at home with her working multiple jobs for us just to make ends meet. And she wanted to give me everything she she could, like any typical mother would and or any loving parent would want to do. And um, But she did an incredible job at shielding me from all of it, if we're being very honest. And she, my routine, my daily life wasn't really shifted, especially in the later now, or in the latter. In the very beginning, obviously, it was, it had a lot of upheaval just because, because she was an only parent and she was going to have, she had two single mastectomies. So she went through the surgery twice. And so both times I had to go live with other people, obviously because she couldn't take care of me at the time, but she chose to have two single mastectomies so that she could keep working in the middle of all of that, which is absolutely incredible because my mom uh, is the director of medical records at Trace Regional Hospital in Houston. So she's the boss of her department. And I've always joked and said that she's in charge of all the paper that comes through the hospital. That's her <laughs> job. She sees every sheet of paper, makes sure it's signed. If it's in the right order, that is her job to make sure it's done. And she kept working. I think she missed a total of like shoot, five, six, eight days of work, which is crazy because she went through the surgery twice. And so she said she wanted to keep doing that so that she didn't have to worry about losing her job because um, I know healthcare is a big hot topic even now, but back then, of course it was. And she was, she was scared of especially being a woman and being a having a child, she was like, if I don't show up to work, they're going to very easily replace me. And my mom is an incredibly hard worker and she loves her job and she's so good at it. 
And uh, she said that she was scared of that. And so she said she did everything she could to make sure that both I was taken care of, she was living to see the next day, and there was money coming in to feed us every day. So uh, that's just a testament to how hard it can be and just how strong my mom was in the face of all of it. <laughs> but I, I like your point where you talk about um, your mom and, and not missing many days. Mm-hmm. So we know that women who are diagnosed with breast cancer a lot of times or any type of cancer um, miss a lot of time from work yes. and ultimately lose their jobs because of it, because that cancer treatment is so expensive it is and for um, an individual who doesn't have uh, a job it makes the struggle much difficult Mm -hmm. and it also um, inadvertently makes a woman choose between treatment and getting and paying you know her household bills and expenses so you know What would you say to someone who is afraid that if they take treatment, lose their job, what do they do? That is such a hard question. Um, I think I don't even think I think the bigger question above all of that is what does our what does our healthcare need to be doing about that? Because we shouldn't be living in a society where women have to choose. I mean, it's now coming down to the question of, like, not even aside from getting sick or having cancer, women are literally choosing, do I want to have a child because I don't want to take the maternity leave and then come back and have been replaced? And that's just an overlapping problem. Like, that it should not be happening in 2018. Is Women should not have to choose between should I live today? Like, should should I, you know, live or should I work the rest of my days at this job? So I think um, we definitely need to be combating that on the side of calling your senators, call your congressmen, do something about our health care, because that it's it is it's a huge problem, especially in the state of Mississippi. Um, And my mom and I will say that my mom had an incredible boss um, and he's been her boss for as long as I can possibly remember. And he's still her boss today. And he was incredibly supportive. And um, although he I mean, he let he never let on that she would have lost her job. But it's always a fear. And I think inherently because we are women. And um, although he did everything he could to reassure her, she was terrified. And that in itself is just another overlapping problem. We shouldn't be terrified. So if we're being really honest, I, I don't really know what to do about that problem other than trying to have open communication with your higher ups. It's like, hey, this is what's going on in my life. And I have absolutely no control whatsoever about what's happening to me. And um, but at the end of the day, every individual is going to have to make the decision for herself or, or himself if he is diagnosed with breast cancer. And you have to choose if your tree if it comes down to it if you if you work in an establishment that does make you choose that you have to choose whether or not you want to take the risk i guess and that's a horrible realization in the world that we live in and, and so i think that you, you know your point to advocacy is so vitally important um that we actually rally around those people who are affected by breast cancer mm-hmm. and ensure that we have policies in place um so that they can have the access to quality breast health services um and not 
risk uh, or have the risk of losing their jobs and their homes because of the expensive cost of, of treatment. So that is uh, an area. And of course, your your local Susan G. Coleman, we're here to um, assist we if are. anyone is in need. Because um, that is basically what Coleman is founded on and what we do every day is provide that real-time support for women and men in our communities that are in need. Um, so Molly, you I know you are a uh, queen in the pageant world. (laughs) (laughs) So tell our audience a little bit about um, your double mastectomy and your choice. And what would you say to young women um, who have a family history that is contemplating or have the BRCA gene mutation that might be contemplating what to do or what their next step is. Yeah. So um, I I was really fortunate. Another thing that my mom did, even throughout her uh, her own cancer experience, was that uh, she put me in pageantry at a very young age. And I don't know if that's because she just wanted me on the stage or because she thought I would like it or because we are in the South and that's, you know, what girls do. Uh, is that? But she threw me on a stage and I have now spent all almost 24 years of my life on a stage in some capacity. I like to say that my whole life has just been one giant performance, no matter where I am. And uh, when I started doing pageants or, or taking them very seriously, I entered into the Miss America organization. And um, in the Miss America organization, you each contestant has their own charitable cause that they uh, take a hold of and promote right we call them platforms and each contestant has a platform and they it's literally just a fancy word for a cause that they grasp onto and they advocate for and so when i decided to compete in the teen version of miss america there's everyone knows the big there she is miss america (laughs) there is also the teen version called miss america's outstanding teen and so when i was 17 years old in my very last year of eligibility My mom had taken me every single year to watch the pageant and I would watch those girls on the stage and I thought, I can totally do this. (laughs) Like I, I can do this. And so when I was 17 in my only year of eligibility, my mom said, if you want to do this, you got to do it (laughs) and you've got to help pay for it because we still had medical bills. And I said, that's totally fine. So I got two jobs and uh, working in working as a waitress at a Mexican restaurant and also working as a fry cook at a burger joint and decided to save up the money. And we brought it in together. I had wonderful support from a local, a local dress shop that helped supply me with my gowns. And I went and I said, I have one shot <laughs> at winning this. And if I win it, I win it. And if I don't, I don't. But I'm going to try. And I, by the grace of God, I won that pageant and then went on to compete at the national level. But uh, because I chose to compete, I had to have a platform. And so I thought, well, there's not really a choice in what I'm going to pick. Obviously, it's going to be breast cancer education and awareness because of my mom. And I joke all the time about how I didn't really choose a platform. My platform kind of chose me because when I'm advocating for my platform, even at 17, I was advocating for my life, right? I hadn't I hadn't yet personally been affected, but I watched my mom. And so I had the initiative and the motivation to go out and do that. And then um, 17, two years later, which is crazy when I think about it now in retrospect, because when I was 17, 
and a senior in high school, I was like, oh, I still have my senior year of high school, and then I'm going to go to college, and I'm going to be big and bad, and it's going to be so cool. And now looking back, at, I had zero idea of what was in store for me. And I got to college, and then at 19, when I was diagnosed and I had to have a double mastectomy, I chose to sat at, sit out a year of competition and so I sat at home after my mastectomy, just covered in pillows and bandages and watched uh, Jasmine Murray win Miss Mississippi on live television. And it was crazy and so fun. And then I decided to compete the very next year. And my platform was just that more important to me is that more amplified and I was uh, I competed in the Miss America organization when swimsuit was still a part of the on-stage competition and I remember walking on stage in my swimsuit on my one-year anniversary of my mastectomy and it was the biggest deal because I was absolutely terrified and at the same time it, it, it was it was just crazy I had a my, my sweet friend Carrie came after that night of competition and gave me a card that was like, you made it a year. And I just cried because it was so sweet. And my platform has now just grown and flourished into something that is now just what I consider my life's calling. It's my purpose now. And I've been so incredibly fortunate to have been in pageantry because obviously I would be advocating for breast cancer education and awareness regardless of if I had been thrust into the Miss America organization but because of it I was given an additional motivation and also just this additional uh, audience this additional just group of women that I can advocate to and obviously one in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer so when I'm at a pageant and I'm surrounding and competing with 43 other contestants there's going to be at least like, what is that, four or five, six of us who could statistically be diagnosed with breast cancer. And even though if I may not be lifelong buddies with them at the end of it, they can still remember, oh, that redhead kid at that pageant <laughs> I did that one time that talked about it and they can save themselves. And so pageantry has been an incredible outlet to not only build me as a person, but also help me advocate for something I care about. So to be the youngest Mississippi um, lady to be diagnosed um, and have a double mastectomy. Mm-hmm. And many people think that, of course, this is an old person's disease. Yes. And it's not one of those that typically affect young women. But you took a bold leap when you found out that you carried the gene mutation. And so for young women, um, I think that you are a wonderful example um, to a lot of young ladies because we are always custom to the fact that our bodies and our makeup define us. Yes. But when it comes to your life and, and making a choice between living and what your outer appearance looks like, you know, how did that typically affect you knowing that you had to compete in competition and you had just gotten your breast removed a year ago? When I had my double mastectomy, I'm constantly asked, was I scared or and was it a hard decision to make? And yes, I was scared, but I was it was one of those things where it was kind of 
I had always expected to have. It's it's like I grew up with the mentality of watching my mom face it. So I thought, oh, I mean, she did it. So I'm going to have to do it too. So I might as well go ahead and get ready. So it was something that I had, I had anticipated. It's just that I did not anticipate it at 19. I anticipated it, you know, like 26, 29, 30. And um, I was terrified. Of course, I was terrified. But I was more so terrified of what I was going to see when I looked in the mirror. And... I, for a long time, like after my mastectomy, we had we I would just completely avoid the mirrors in my home. And my mom knew that I did. And I just I wouldn't look. I wouldn't look down at my chest. I wouldn't look into a mirror. And it's it's hard. Um, and so when I chose to compete uh, to get to Miss Mississippi, you have to compete in what they call a preliminary pageant or a local pageant. And so when I competed at my local pageant, I still had my um tissue expanders in, which are uh, the things that you put underneath your skin uh, to literally stretch the skin and prepare your body for the reconstruction process and your implants afterwards. And But tissue expanders are very hard. They're hard as rocks. They're big square plastic things that were underneath my chest that have a metal plate in them. And so that means that my chest wouldn't move, right? They, they were just square boobs, square things, and they were hard as rocks and they wouldn't move. And so when I had to go compete in a local to get to Miss Mississippi, I had to go on stage in a swimsuit with tissue expanders. And I thought, what what am I going to do? Which means since they don't move, I can't put on a swimsuit that has a push-up. So I have to find a swimsuit that's suitable for stage, but also doesn't have any padding. And that was just a whole thing in itself. And so my my family laughs at me all the time. We have the video of me doing that first swimsuit competition. And I swear to you, I walked out. I stood there for, what, a second and a half and then walked straight off. Like, there was no turning around. There was no posing. It was literally just me. And then I'm gone. And so I'm like, I hope you have quick eyes because I was Speedy Gonzalez that day. But it's terrifying because when you have the part of your body that you associate your femininity with uh, taken away from you, just completely stripped, especially at 19 when every girl is freaking out about, um, and especially when you're in pageants, it's like your appearance is is all you have, really. And so it's just really scary. And so, yeah, I had post-pectoral surgery, or uh, post-pectoral double mastectomy. So I have animation deformity. And uh, so basically when I, like, raise my arms or I try to do a push-up or anything like that, my my breasts contort in a, in a weirder way that normal women's breasts don't, right? Like, have you ever seen those really buff men that can, like, make their pecs jump, Right. And it's like, oh, that's so cool. Right. No, right. I can do that, too. Right? It's like I can do that, too. And it's because of my animation deformity. But it's it's fine. Right. It's, right. it's, it's just fine. like you something amazing. Exactly. It's just I have to be very conscious of it when I'm on stage in a swimsuit and I'm trying to be like, look how great I look. And I don't end up looking like the Incredible Hulk when I'm trying to, like, flex my biceps. Right. So <laughs> that's that is the difference. Um, but it's 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 something that you really have to you really have to take hold of and realize that your outside appearance is just an accessory and that the fact that I'm sitting here is the accomplishment, that I am alive. That's the accomplishment. And, you know, whether I had even been able to not have reconstruction, I would still be on that stage because I know that my body is not going to be the thing that holds me back from my dreams. And, um, you know, it's indefinitely, even if, because of what I have gone through makes me that much more a woman. 
rather than what has taken away from me. Exactly. Our outer appearance does not determine who we are in the inside. It's what's inside that really counts. So we're going to take a short break and tell you how you can support the Susan G. Coleman Memphis Mid-South Mississippi podcast. We'll be back. The Memphis Mid-South Mississippi affiliate of Susan G. Coleman provides needed breast cancer services to women throughout West Tennessee and Mississippi. Your donation can help save the life of women who do not have access to breast health care. Please take a moment and donate by visiting our website at www.colemanmemphismss.org. That's www.k-o-m-e-n-m-e-m-p-h-i-s-m-s.org. Thank you for your support. Welcome back to the Memphis Mid-South Mississippi Pink Podcast in a conversation with my co-host, Miss Molly May, hey, who had a double mastectomy, I'm sorry, at the age of 19 because of a BRCA gene mutation um, that was detected. So Molly, um, just finish telling us about what was that experience like um, going through the whole process? It's almost a little unreal. Um but I had I had an incredible team of oncologists and surgeons and plastic surgeons that really took me under their wing. Um, not only because they do that to our, all of their patients, they're they're fantastic physicians, but also because I was a little I was uncharted territory within the state of Mississippi because I was the youngest person to ever have to undergo this surgery. So they it was. It's just it's just new, <laughs> right, for them. So um, they were so incredible to the point of giving me their personal cell phone numbers and saying, just call us if you have any questions. Like, just if you need some help, give us a ring, which is translated now into years of friendships where I can go to them for assistance and support, and they follow me uh, with all of my achievements thus far. And it's really an incredible thing. But at the time, it was it was terrifying, but also in a way that wasn't because, as I said before, that I had kind of expected it, you know, for my lifetime, just not so young. So that was the jarring part, was that it was coming so soon, not necessarily that it had come. And um, when I went to visit my initial uh, genetics, my my initial geneticist um, to figure out if I had carried the BRCA1 gene because my mom was a carrier. So we knew I had a 50-50 shot and he told me that I did and a very just straight to the point, you got this, let's go from here manner. And we then went on for a MRI and then we ended up doing a an ultrasound and then a biopsy. And which we then discovered that not only did I carry the gene, but I also had a tumor in my left breast. And then I also carried a radial scar and it was just a lot. And so um, it's it's scary when you get a diagnosis. And so I said I looked at my physician straight in the face and I said, you know what, when can we schedule this surgery? And I had just been so. I don't know just normal about the entire situation. I hadn't cried in front of my mother. She she had cried a lot, but I had not cried at all. And 
I just, I guess I didn't really see the point. I, I guess I, I looked at it and I thought, well, if she's falling apart, I can't fall apart too because there can't be two crying women in one area. That's just a lot. So one of us has to be strong. And especially when it's just two people in a, in a household, one of us has to be that pillar. And I took it upon myself to be that pillar. And so my doctors just kind of looked at me and they were like, do you realize what is happening to you? <laughs> like, Do you understand the gravity of this situation? And I was like, yes, I totally understand what is happening to me. I just want to know what happens next. Like, we're already here. So I need to know the next step because I'm so incredibly type A. I'm a planner. And so I need to know what's coming so that I can emotionally prepare myself for that journey. And so they said, I mean, if, okay. So we, as long as you understand, so here's what it is. And so I ended up having a double mastectomy in June of 2014. And I was completely prepared for the physical toll. I was not prepared for the mental toll or the emotional toll of um, looking down and not seeing breasts. And I know that that's crazy. Like when... But, you know, I would look at my friends and they're fine. Like, they have nice boobies. They're fine. I don't have that anymore. And I think the hardest part was realizing that I would never be able to feel my breasts again. Right? And so when I tell people that, they're like, what does that even mean? And I remember my mom saying, I'm so sorry that you have to go through this. You haven't had your boobs long enough. And I'm like, that really sucks. Yes, it does. But it's okay. But when I tell people, like, I can't feel my breasts, and they're like, what does that mean? And I'm like, well... Have you ever had your foot fall asleep and then you touch your foot while it's asleep and you can feel the skin on the skin, right? Like, oh, that's what my skin feels like, but I can't feel the sensation on my foot. And they're like, yeah, like that is exactly what my boobs feel like when I touch them. I can't feel, but I can feel the skin with my fingers. And they're like, oh, that's not fun. Like, I mean, I guess you can look at it not being fun, but I mean, I just have to constantly look down at my shirt to make sure like my breast isn't falling out. Like that's the biggest issue for me. And so it's just going through it at 19, I feel an incredible responsibility now uh, because I, because I did go through something at such a young age that I mean, just a lot of people don't have to do this right at 19 more at 19. People are worried about what they're doing in college, not, you know, Am I going to live in six months? And um, I now feel an incredible responsibility to go and advocate to high schoolers and to college kids and say, this is not an old woman's disease. Like this, this really can happen to you. Just like you really can get in a car wreck and die from texting and driving. You really can get alcohol poisoning from drinking too much. You really can get breast cancer and die, right? Like this is not, it's not just a, you're not a superhero. You're not invincible so um it was scary it's and so it's one of those but it's it's a badge that I wear like being the youngest mastectomy patient in the state of Mississippi is one of those things that I wear with pride because I know that no one younger than me has had to do it and I know how hard it was for me at 19 so by god there's no way that I want someone 14 15 16 to have to do it too Although it's unfortunate, it's pretty exciting to wear the pink badge of the youngest person. But for some um, women, you know, 
this still is one of those taboo um, things we've come we're sitting here candidly talking about boobs and and breasts and how they feel and things but years ago you know 40 years ago when nancy formed um susan g coleman women were dying in silence um not wanting to talk about the disease their family history and what was going on but today we're more open and we're we're being more open what would you say to families um, who are still afraid to talk about their family history and just bring up the subject because we know that family history is very important extremely Um, and also we know that some people without family history also get breast cancer so give us a little bit idea what your thoughts are on the importance of just talking openly about it in your family I guess I would ask you what, why you're so scared. Like, wh- what's the scary part about it, right? It's like, oh, um, heart disease runs in my family. Okay, okay. So if heart disease runs in your family and you're scared of having a heart attack, what do you do? You go to the doctor and, and have your heart checked, right? Like, right. it's, you just, you, my mom always told me growing up, especially when she was going through what uh, she went through. But even in just emotional situations, when I would, like, get into a fight with my best friend, she would say, I want you to take the emotion out of the equation just completely remove the way you feel about it and look at it as a point a point b logical standpoint kind of like in math there's only one answer right there may be multiple ways to get Get to to that answer right but there's one answer so just take it take it out of the equation why are you scared well i'm scared of i'm scared of dying i'm scared of death i'm like you know what that's the way how you fear like you're scared take it out right take out the fear of dying that that may not even be part of the equation right now right take it out just talk about what's going on because you're the only person that knows your body right like you can see a physician two different physicians every day from here until 30 years from now and not a single one of those physicians are going to be able to look at you and know exactly what you're feeling and know exactly what's going on in your body only you can. So if you're not your own advocate, then no one will be. So don't be scared. Like, just take the emotion out of it and just talk about it. And when it comes to your breasts, just take the sexualization away from it. Right? Like, they're literally right. just skin bags. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's how I had to look at it. Even at 19, I was like, this is literally just skin bags. And part of it also is like, the the only other purpose for these would be to feed my children. And I can feed my children with formula, right? So it's cool. Take them, right? Like it's going to be okay. So just, just talk about it. It really is as simple as having a conversation. I like the idea of skin bags. Skin bags. (laughs) That is so amazing. It's so crude and I'm so sorry. (laughs) I guess this concludes our um, podcast with Molly May and her experience. Yes. Yes. If you, uh, if you want to hear more in depth about what it was like to go through something so young and also resources, you can buy my book. It's called My Crowning Achievement Beating Cancer and you can buy it online at amazon.com. All right. Well, um, go check out Molly's book, um, My Crowning Achievement. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for joining the Susan G. Coleman Memphis Mid-South Mississippi Pink Podcast. For additional information to donate or support this podcast, visit our website at www.komen.com 
M-E-N-P-H-I-S-M-S.org. This podcast is proudly sponsored by the D.L. Dykes Foundation, producers of Faith and Reason.